0: good. God is good to all of us, even the ones that stay home on Memorial Day weekend. Um, this past week was a, a big week uh, for a couple reasons. Uh, one of them is that we uh, here at church started a brand new series last week called Wish You Were Here, and uh, Pastor Matt got us started last week. We, um, we looked through uh, the first chapter of First John, and depending on what service you attended, at least the service I, was attend- I attended, uh, Pastor Matt made a point of uh, sharing that uh, I don't usually let him start sermon series and that he gave the impression that I don't trust him or that I'm nervous. Were you at a service where he said this by chance? anybody? Yeah, I was at one of those too. And I just want to kind of clarify some things. And most of you know me really well. You know how, how nice I am and how kind-hearted I am. And the reality is, to set the thing straight, is that what Matt said is absolutely true. I, <laughs> I don't trust him, and, uh, and, uh, and so he's very rarely, especially after this, going to start sermon series anymore. Um, just kidding. Or am I? Uh... The other big thing happened on Monday. Monday evening was a, a big event uh, that I'm wondering if any of you caught or know immediately what I'm talking about. Monday was the premiere of the 13th season, 12th season, of The Bachelorette. I can't believe that you guys just don't know this, that The Bachelorette started. So you guys don't know JoJo Fletcher? JoJo Fletcher is the new Bachelorette, and she has the chance now to date 30 guys at the very same time. I mean, that's awesome, to fall madly in love with at least five of them, And then to give one lucky guy an opportunity to offer her, or offer him the opportunity to offer her a chance to get married. And all of this happening within six weeks of taping. I mean, this is just awesome. And how well this all works out. Um, If it sounds like I'm poking fun of The Bachelorette or The Bachelor, um, I am. (laughs) And the show, you know, is clearly staged, unrealistic. I would say morally conflicted uh, in a lot of ways, and uh, clearly doesn't work or bring true love. Now, why would I bring it up here? The reason I bring it up is, is I've seen an episode or two, and what happens at the end of these episodes really surprises me. And here's what I mean. At the end, they have a, a, uh, a rose ceremony, which is essentially voting someone off the island, so to speak. And whoever doesn't get a rose has to go home in a limo. And again, remember, they've known these, this other person for a week, two weeks, three weeks. But yet, when they're sent home and when they get in the limo, it's like emotions just pour out, right? And they're either sobbing the entire time. I can't believe it. It didn't pick me and no one likes me. Or on the flip side, you've got someone getting really, really mad and really angry and I'm better than them and the better than the rest. And here's my question. When I see this happen, I'm like, you hardly know this other person. And you are so emotionally invested. You've known them for a week, five weeks tops. What's going on? You know what it's not? It's not true love that's coming out there. You can't really know you love someone in that amount of time, at least not the way, biblically, that we think of marriage. What's coming out is this simple thing that hurts all of us. Simply, that person wasn't picked. It hurts when you're not picked. So the bachelor the bachelorette looks at all the contestants analyzes who they are, what they look like, what their gifts are, how funny they are, all that stuff. And then he or she decided that you didn't make it, that you weren't as good as everybody else. And and when you're not picked, it feels horrible. And emotions come out, even if you've only known someone for a couple weeks. Now, none of us have been on The Bachelor as far as what I know, But we've all been there. We've all been in a situation in life where we wanted to be in, but we were, in one way or another, told we were out. Uh, Maybe you didn't get asked to the dance, or maybe you didn't uh, make the team. Uh, Maybe you didn't uh, sort of win the affection of someone that you liked in high school, college, or afterwards. Uh, maybe it was a school that you really wanted to go to, and, and you got this really nice letter, but at the end of it, it said, we're not going to accept you. Maybe it's a job that you interviewed for. And it was more than just a resume. And they asked you back three times, and they knew your strengths, they knew your profile, they knew everything, and yet at the end of the day, after really getting to know you, the answer was, someone can fill this better. You're not, you're not the one that's a circumstance, that's a situation that leads almost all of us to emotions, whether they be anger on the one hand or sadness on the other. And so I'm thinking what's true for me is also true for you, which is also true for Bachelorette contestants. It's our first fill-in for the day. That being in is awesome, But when you're told you're out, it's awful. Being in, being where you want to be, being with the people you want to be with, being told you're good enough is awesome. Being told you're not, feeling as if you don't make the grade or don't make the cut, that's the opposite of awesome. It's it's awful. And, And this gets even to be more intense if you're feeling out with God, if you're not feeling accepted by God. And, and this is where I want to go back to First John chapter 1 and a little bit of what uh, uh, Pastor Matt started us off with last week. He, he talked about living in darkness versus living in light. And the reality is, uh, as we look at the screen here, the reality is, is that God wants us to be here. And if this circle could represent His will for us, and ultimately His will, that sphere, is that we are to be... An, an, There's a long list. I'm not going to be able to share all of them, but some things. He wants us to be patient. He wants us to be loving. He wants us to be forgiving. Um, He he wants us to be kind to other people. And the list goes on. In reality, in order biblically to be within God's will, in order to be here, we need to be perfect. We need to be walking in the light all the time. And yet, (laughs) when you look at your life, when I look at my life, I find that so often, I'm not here, but I'm there, outside of the sphere. And sometimes this is by accident, like how hard it is to control my mind sometimes, or your mind, and how you keep sort of falling back into bad thought patterns that you know aren't right, but it's hard to control. Sometimes, though, I'm there because of willful decisions to not follow Willful decisions to not be here, but instead to be there. And God's saying in this series through John, I wish you were here. I wish you were in God's will. And I look at my life, and so often, I'm there. And at certain moments in all of our lives, we wonder, (laughs) I'm there so often, and sometimes I'm not there. Sometimes I'm there, right? Can God, as we just sang, really love me? Can I really have confidence for eternity? Because so often, I'm not here. Well, John, in chapter 2, at the very beginning, really addresses this. And he wants to kind of set the stage for the Christian life by starting with the motivation for why we would want to obey God in the first place. So we're going to look at those verses in just a second. But before we do, I want to set them up by letting you in on a little bit of what Old Testament worship life would have been like, because John's words really sort of uh, team up really well with understanding Old Testament worship life. So when, when you come to church here, as an example, we do everything we can to make you feel good, to feel comfortable to understand the love of God and to go away hopefully smiling, filled up, at peace, all those things which we should be able to have with God. In the Old Testament, that was not the objective. And some of that you can actually see in the very way that the temple was designed. So this, these lines are my attempt at a diagram of the temple, okay? And in the, the very heart of the temple was a room that you've probably heard about before. It's called the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was a place where it was said that God's special presence on earth was. And that was represented by a box that Indiana Jones made famous, uh, uh, the, the Ark of the Covenant. And the truth is, is that if someone walked into the Holy of Holies, if it's the wrong person at the wrong time, without the, wrong, without the right stuff, they would immediately die. And here's why. God wanted there to be this reminder <laughs> that God's will is here, and so often we're there. And so the temple was a a weekly or daily reminder of this separation. And in fact, we see it in in other ways. So when you came to the temple, you'd walk through the gates that were right here, and the outside part was called the, the court of the Israelites. This was like their atrium. In fact, if you look at some really old sketches of the temple, you'll find that the welcome center was right here in the center, and they had coffee and don't... No, I'm just kidding. They didn't really have that. But it was kind of like our atrium. I think I even saw a picture of a drawing of Tom in one of the, the temple drawings that I saw with the lanyard and everything. It was stone instead of, you know, plastic. But um, it, was, it was their atrium, their gathering space to talk to... To sort of uh, mingle with each other, to encourage each other. But from there, very inclusive, it got more exclusive. So the the next room or the next area was right here, was called the Court of Women. And this is as far as the women of uh, the Israelites were able to go when it comes to the presence of God. After the court of women, a little bit closer was the court of men. And that's where the guys hung out in both of these courts. Uh, the, the Torah would have, been, um, would have been read. That is the Old Testament Bible, I'm sure. The, the men probably talked about their, how their fantasy fishing team was doing or something like that. I don't know whatever guys back then talked about. Uh, uh, but that's as far as the guys were able to go, the presence of God being here. The next was the court of priests, and so if you were of the tribe of Levi, uh, kind of like the Old Testament pastors, uh, you would be able to go even a little bit closer to the presence of God, but there was still a separation. In the court of priests uh, is where most of the sacrifices were made, and there are other priestly duties that the priests would do in that court. There's a special group of priests that were then able to go into the holy place. And uh, this too, there were special functions that they did in there. Uh, The the direct line of Aaron uh, was the the priests that were able to to go in that that holy place. And then finally you have the Holy of Holies. And so some of you have heard of Yom Kippur. We've talked about that here at Bethlehem in the past, the Day of Atonement. One day a year, the high priest, the, the chief of priests, After going through a series of ritual bathings and cleansings and then doing the right sacrifices and with blood in a bowl in his hands as a a sort of symbolic payment for his sin and for the sins of Israel, he was able to go into the Holy of Holies and he would would splatter that blood on the walls and on the ark. And, And there was one day a year that one guy doing the right things was able to go into the very presence of God. Now, if all of this seems really weird, I'm right there with you. It seemed really weird to me, too, the first number of times when I heard about this. But it's less weird when you understand what God was trying to do. What he was trying to do was, first of all, remind people of our diagram, (laughs) That God's will is here and we're there oftentimes. And then what he wanted them to do by when they went to church and recognizing this separation because of sin is to, to weakly be reminded, I need someone to take care of this. I need someone to come to break down the separation so that I can be in God's very presence, so that I can have a relationship with him. And so They were weakly reminded of their need for a Savior to come. That was God's plan in all of this. I need a Savior. I need a Savior. And so with that, John then writes this in chapter 2, verse 1. My dear children, I write these things to you in chapter 1 so that you won't sin. I want you to live in the light, not in the darkness. But if anybody does sin, and if they had emojis back there, it'd be like winky face emoji, okay? Because he's like saying, if anybody does sin, and you all are going to sin, we all sin, okay? If anybody does sin, we have an advocate, someone who speaks on our behalf with the Father. His name is Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Now, that's cool. We have someone in heaven, even in our worst moments, by faith, that is speaking on our behalf, that is, is speaking to the Father and saying, yeah, Ben is messing up right now, but he's yours, Father. He's yours. And, and, and what, on what basis is he arguing this? Because Ben is more here than there? Because, you know, Ben does some good things and he's a, he's a pastor? And, I mean, on what basis does he argue for us? that advocate, verse 2, because he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ advocates on the basis of himself. The priests, Father, used to give the blood of bulls so that the high priest could be in the Holy of Holies for a day. Father, I... I gave all my blood so that all sins, one time for all people, would be paid for and cleansed. Father, I gave my life. And now, as much as that person is there instead of here, he believes in me. He's yours. And when we really grasp the message of the Bible, there's this confidence that you and I can have. The thing the world fears the most is death. I don't care who you are. It's the thing the the regular world fears the most. The atoning sacrifice of Christ gets rid of that for us no matter what countries are pointing missiles at us, no matter who gets elected as president, no matter what the doctor says or doesn't say, because Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice, we can be at peace. And, and knowing something is, is already done makes a big difference. It makes a huge difference. Um, let me give you an example of, of the difference in feeling that you can have about life. So, a few years ago, uh, my brother-in-law and I, we uh, got up uh, early on Black Friday uh, to get one of the uh, computer deals that were at Best Buy. And I think we got up at like 3, 3.30, and I, I think the doors opened around 6 back at that time. And there's like five or six or seven of these computers that we wanted. And so we're up early, not sure if we should go or not. Seth decides to come with me. We're, uh, we're waiting in line for a while. And you know, quite honestly, I'm wondering throughout these two hours of waiting whether we really should be here or not, and just like, is this going to be a waste of time? And I'm just, in a sense, uneasy about whether we're going to get one of the five or six computers that are, are being offered. And uh, you remember back in the, the day, the uneasiness didn't uh, subside once the doors opened because it was like the, ra- the rushing of the bulls or whatever. Every, you know, you just, you're uneasy the whole time. Am I going to get trampled? Will I find the computers right, you know, in the right place? Will I get, you know, whatever? Um, when we went, still, they had the ticket method. So um, before the doors even opened, we knew that I got one of them. And a- as soon as we had that ticket, I had a totally different feeling. I, I didn't mind waiting anymore. I had a feeling of confidence because there was a, there was a computer waiting for me. That's the difference in, in putting your trust in Christ or putting your trust in self. What John is saying is that Jesus Christ was a sacrifice that you need, and it's as if he's given you a ticket in your hand. And while we're waiting for Christ to return, while we're waiting someday to be called home to heaven... We can have the confidence of waiting with the, the happiness of knowing that what we want, if we could choose, if we could choose, is what Jesus exactly has won for us. And it's ours through faith. Our next fill-in is this: You're in because of him. You feel like sometimes you're out, especially in those times of, of big sin or quantity of sin. By faith in Jesus, it doesn't matter the quantity you're in because of him and the atoning sacrifice of his blood. Now, there's a few more verses here, and John goes on from there because he knows our propensity to take this message and to skew it and manipulate it. He knows that because the people he was writing to did the same thing. Here's how we often mess up grace, Christians. We take the knowledge of the the, the free forgiveness that Christ has won. We don't need to do anything for it. And then we think at times that it doesn't matter what we do because, right, God will forgive me anyway. And so we often don't, Maybe it's not always an excuse, but we don't always consider the importance of obedience because of the magnificence of grace. And the people that John was writing to struggle with that same thing. And so he continues to write to them about the importance of obedience. Let's go to verse 3. John writes, We know that we have come to know God, or Jesus, if we keep his commands. Now, this know is not like I've heard of him. This know is uh, the Greek word gnosko, which means that I have an intimate knowledge. It means I believe. I have put my trust in him. And notice what he says. We know that we've come to believe in him if we keep his commands. Now, how is (laughs) belief, trust, and keeping commands connected? Well, John continues. Whoever says, I know him, I believe in him, I believe in Jesus, but doesn't do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. Now, on a certain level, this has to hit all of us pretty hard. And it might even make us, in a quick read, question whether we're really in or not. Because I sin. Am I just lying? Okay? What John is writing about is not a person who sins. And that's it. It's not a person who trusts in God, trusts in Christ, but, but has sinful tendencies. It's not like a Christian lives their day, and in some moments we're in the sphere, in some moments we're out, and we're in and we're out, and hopefully Christ returns when I'm in, because if he returns when I'm out, well, you know, I'm in trouble. What he's talking about, and, and only you personally can really know this, what he's talking about is someone who has essentially said, God, I don't care what you want me to do, and in essence, also has said, I don't care about you. This is someone who by their actions have shown themselves to reject God altogether. There's an apathy about God, an apathy about living in obedience. Verse 5, he continues, but if anyone obeys God's word, Love for God is made complete. How is love for God made complete? By obedience. Well, I thought love was a feeling, a thought. <laughs> it, what's John saying? You don't have to think any further than, your marriage, than a marriage relationship. If I just tell my wife all the time that I love her with my words but if a husband or a wife is not showing it, whether through faithfulness or through action or uh, or service, it's just hollow, isn't it? How's love made complete? How's the love of your words made complete? It's made complete in obedience. That's what John's saying. There's something misfiring if we say we love God, and yet we're not daily trying to obey him. This is how we know we're in him. We're in the sphere. Whoever claims to live in him should live, must live as Jesus did. I think our next fill-in is here. Obedience is the evidence of our residence. Uh, when I wrote this, I I was thinking there's, there's these two rhyming words. I, I didn't realize there's actually three. So this is like the, the trinity of fill-ins with three rhymes. So it's even it's a little holier than most, uh, most fill-ins. But obedience is the evidence of our residence. It's not the way we earn our residence. You don't earn your residence. But if you're wondering who you are, one way to look one place to look is obedience am i obeying do i have a a hunger to obey god's direction now christians often <laughs> have trouble with obedience in this sense that we go off in one direction or the other with obedience with good works so there's a segment of Christians in, in our country and world that put way too much stock in good works. And so it becomes, maybe you've heard the phrase, work righteousness. And so they, they, they find their peace with God in how they've kind of earned his love. We've established we cannot do that. You're either perfect or you need Jesus, okay? (laughs) On the flip side, and this is more, I would say, in the lines of the, the danger that some of the churches that I grew up in, is that obedience is almost ignored in a fear that we might give the impression that we're adding to our way to get to heaven. And so obedience isn't talked about, what I would say, enough. As a Christian, we need to recognize that Jesus Christ is the atoning sacrifice for all our sins, it's all him for our residence. But like John says, that obedience is, is a fruit and an important evidence of our residence. Thinking about how I could illustrate this difference. And uh, I, I went to my uh, t-shirt drawer. I'm going to bring out some t-shirts that I have for my drawer. Um, so uh, there, I have a bunch more t-shirts than this, but I just picked a few from my drawer that kind of had a theme, and I want to see if you can kind of pick the, the theme out. So here's a uh, Minnesota Twins t-shirt, a uh, Minnesota Gopher t-shirt, a, uh, another Minnesota Twins t-shirt. <laughs> oh, and by the way, the theme is not teams that are no good. Um, Unfortunately, that's the case this year. Minnesota Gopher t-shirt, unless the baseball team for the Gophers, they were good, but, uh, and the girls hockey, but Minnesota Twins. If you were to look through my drawer and you came across this high percentage of my t-shirts, what sort of thing might you think of me or know of me? Okay, I enjoy sports. What else? I live in Minnesota. You would have an idea about my residence. Now, not all of my T-shirts are Minnesota-based, but there's enough there to get an idea that these shirts are evidence of my residence. Now, is the fact that I have T-shirts in my drawer that have Minnesota themes make me a resident of Minnesota? No, it doesn't. Is it evidence? Yeah. It's a good clue. When you look at the drawer of your life, there's probably some things that are evidence of your residence with God, and there's probably some t-shirts that tell a different story. But as we grow in our faith, as we live each day as a Christian, the t-shirt should accumulate. As when we're growing in faith, the evidence of our residence grows in our obedience. Obedience does not earn your residence, but it certainly is evidence. And obedience to God should be important to a follower of Christ. Now, I'm going to give you a little preview to where we're going in the next two weeks by uh, sharing really quickly our last two verses for today. Verses 9 and 10. John says, Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates, hates a brother or a sister, is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. Um, If you ever would like a really easy-to-remember summary of what it means to obey God, if I could boil it down to a word, it would be love. Love God, love others. How are my interactions with the people around me, whether they're family, friends, customers, co-workers? Is it a display of love or something else? And in fact, Jesus said the very same thing. When Jesus was asked, uh, next slide, when Jesus was asked about what the greatest commandment was in the law, Jesus said, love. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, And then the next verse, 39. And the second command is like it, love. Love your neighbor. In fact, he says, all the law and the prophets, the entire Old Testament hinges or hangs on these two commands, which is really one command. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. And we're going to dig more into that in the next two weeks, that theme of love. But for today, to wrap things up, to give you something to take home with you, to to apply to your life, in response to what you've heard, I just want to acknowledge that there are our times where we have difficulty obeying God. And I would say that most of the time, our apathy or difficulty with obeying God in certain areas of our life has to do with forgetting our residence. where either we don't understand what Jesus has done for us or it's not on the front burner. You know what one of the the biggest temptations for Christians is, if you've been a Christian for more than two years, is getting bored with grace, getting bored with Jesus, getting bored with what he's done for us. In fact, it was Aristotle who once said something you know, that people get bored with anything they have. They get bored with the things that they have. So you get that new house. How long does it take for you to get bored with it? You get that new car. How long before you're bored with it? You get the, the new iPhone 6. How long are you before you're bored with it, right? Like cell phone, you know, excitement is like the shortest, I think, of anything, right? We get bored with things. And so our last fill-in for today is this, that daily obedience will grow through daily appreciation of Christ. Not weekly. Not monthly. Not twice a year. (laughs) Daily. Now, I promise to help you out once a week on Sunday morning. But you know what I know. You need more than that. So my challenge for you this week is if you don't have a way yet to daily hear about the grace of Jesus Christ that has changed you, you need to find one. Maybe that's watching a short three-minute devotion in the morning. Uh, there's a, uh, uh, some videos. Uh, just Google your time of grace. Or maybe it's doing soap journals. Or maybe it's reading through your favorite chapter. Maybe it's praying with your spouse every day at a certain time, and you're going to hold that time sacred. Maybe it's having family devotions. I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I do know, that daily obedience will grow through daily appreciation because obedience is something that spawns or is a fruit of faith in what Jesus has done for us. So with that in mind and on your heart, I'd like to pray for you as we close. Holy Father, we thank you uh, for your great love for us, that one for us, residence in heaven. The blood of your Son is the the proof of our residence. May we respond to that with obedience, dear Lord. Forgive us for the times where we find ourselves there instead of here. (laughs) And help us every day to live more and more within your will. We pray all this in Jesus' name and also pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power At this time, our ushers will be gathering uh, our offerings, and if you're a guest with us, uh, do not feel as if you are obligated to to give an offering. This service is is certainly our gift to you, and uh, uh, if you'd like to uh, participate in response to what Jesus has done, you're you're more than welcome to do that. At the same time, if you could take a moment to fill out one of those black uh, three-ring binders in the row, uh, it would be much appreciated. Thank you.
1: How sweet the sound oh, that saved a wretch like me cause I was lost but now I know I'm found and I was blind but now I see and though I was broken Though I was lost, though I still stumble and fall, there's a love so deep, a love so beautiful, a love that's redeemed my soul. So I say, Amazing grace sweet the sound oh, that saved a wrench like me cause I once was lost but now I'm found
0: and I was blind but now I see I invite you to please stand. Um, we're going to close with a, a blessing for you as you leave, and then a song that goes really well with our message today reminds us that it is the, the love of God that is what awakens us to obey and to follow. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look on you with favor and give you His peace. Amen.